I come, uh, my folk actually used to live just down the road in Houghton in the spring, so I got to know this area fairly well and, and, and love the area as well. So to be back here is, is a real joy. And I believe you had a Kelly here last night. That's a, a very Scottish thing to do. We had a Kelly as well. Uh, one of uh, our friends was having his 21st birthday, and so we drove through driving snow to Queensfree. Uh, it's a complete whiteout up there uh, to get to this Cayley. So uh, when I saw the blue skies coming down here on the clear roads, it was absolutely fabulous uh, to be driving without any fear of, of skidding. It's really good to be here. We're looking at uh, the book of Colossians just now, and uh, I think this is probably the second in your series in Colossians. We're, we're in chapter 1, and we're going to read together from verse 24 of chapter 1 down to the end of verse 5 of chapter 2. That's our passage uh, for this morning. And I, I just give you a quick health warning as we read. I'm dyslexic, and so I find reading extremely difficult. So if I stumble, please don't worry, but keep your eye on the page, and at least you follow on your own Bible uh, what's being said. So let's read together uh, Colossians 1, and beginning at uh, verse 24. This is Paul speaking or, or writing. Now I rejoice in what I'm suffering for you, And I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions. For the sake of his body, which is the church, I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness. The mystery that has been kept hidden from ages and generations, but now is disclosed to the Lord's people. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we might present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. I want you to know how hard I'm contending for you and for those at Laodicea. And for all who have not met me personally, my goal is that you might be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they might know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this, so that no one might deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. For though I am absent from you in the body, I am present with you in spirit, and I delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. That's all we want to read just for now. God for for, for the folk in Colossae and saying how much he rejoices in what God has been doing in their lives. And having done that opening salvo, he now focuses more on his own ministry and tells them a wee bit more about himself. And if you look at verse 24 for a second, his opening descriptor of himself is almost counterintuitive. He said, I rejoice, what? In my sufferings. Now, that's a bit of a bizarre thing to say, isn't it? We live in a culture where um, people don't look forward to suffering. What they want is an easier life. And we use technology and other things to, to make our life more comfortable, more congenial, more easy going, because 
Nobody wants a hard time. Nobody wants to suffer. Nobody wants life to be difficult. So is Paul some kind of masochist who rejoices in, 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 in a life that, that's really hard, that's really austere, that's, that, that, that's tough for him? Uh, well, not really. Uh, what he's really rejoicing in is not so much that he's suffering per se. Uh, after all, there's no particular benefit in, in, in suffering. But because his suffering is productive, it leads to something that's, that's really good. And because the end result is good, he doesn't mind the difficulty that he has in getting to that end result. Notice this, first of all, his suffering is, is for the sake of the church, for your sake, referring to the, uh, the Colossian Christians there. And we need to think about Paul's life to really grasp what he's, he's meaning here. Paul was an extraordinary man. He grew up originally in a fairly privileged Jewish family where his family were not only fairly well off, but highly esteemed within a, a, a Jewish setup. Within Judaism, they had a, a kind of a caste system, even like you have in India today. And in that Jewish caste system, Paul was at the very top of the tree. Somebody who his culture would admire enormously. And then he became a Christian. And in becoming a Christian, not only did he have to turn his back on his affluent family background, but on all the prestige that he had as, as being a, a Jew at the top of the Jewish tree, and in fact his family, his culture, his background, utterly rejected him. He became an outcast. But that didn't deter him. He was so convinced by the Christian faith, and so convinced that it makes a difference to people's lives, that he then began to travel the world the then known world, telling people about how his life had been transformed and how their lives could also be transformed. And that was tough. In one of the other epistles, uh, 2 Corinthians, uh, Paul talks about some of the stuff he suffered, and it was awful. Shipwrecked, imprisoned, beaten, stoned and left for dead, people hating him, rejecting him. His life was brutally, brutally difficult. But... Wherever he went, people became Christians. And their lives were transformed. They experienced Jesus Christ. And he said, for the sake of the church, I'm happy to suffer because look at what's happening. There you are as a church and you're being blessed. Fantastic. But the end result for him was not just that uh, there were now churches like the church in Colossae. Christians who loved God, who were growing, who were developing in their faith. He also saw his sufferings as being a, a, a wee bit like following Jesus. He said, Jesus also suffered for the church. He died on the cross. And as he hung there on the cross and gave his life, he achieved complete forgiveness for anybody who would believe in him. And Paul saw himself as, as, as walking in Jesus' footsteps. Christ was prepared to pay the ultimate cost so that other people could become Christians and could have this life and this joy and this purpose. And Paul said, while I'm going through all this difficulty, not only am I doing this for the benefit of the church, but, but I'm following the one I love. I'm following his example, that example of laying my life down and sacrificing myself so that others can be blessed. So actually, I see suffering in, in that sense in, in a very positive way. It is tough. I don't enjoy those sleepless nights or, 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 or living rough or being rejected by my family or being imprisoned or being beaten with rods and with whips or, 
or being chased by the authorities. I don't enjoy all that stuff. But the benefit of seeing a church being birthed and also of following in the footsteps of Jesus, those are enormous benefits. And it's a wee bit like, I don't know how many of you have ever been present at a birth. I was present at the birth of my, my, my daughter. Uh, wasn't present at the other two. Uh, they were being born because they, they were adopted. So I wasn't there. But with my oldest girl, I was there at her birth. And it was a difficult, in the case of Karis, uh 26, 27 hours of labor. It was agonizing. Uh, for my wife as well, of course. Uh, it, was, <laughs> it was agonizing. But you go through all of that pain because the end result is something that's just magical. Just magical. And, and that's Paul's feeling. I'm happy to suffer because the end result is, is so good. Now, I'm challenged by that because it makes me ask two questions about, about my own Christian life. Number one, do I just look for an easy life? And should that be the goal of a Christian's life, to look for an easy life? Well, it wasn't Paul the goal. He anticipated that living the Christian life as we ought will of necessity mean difficulties, real struggle. It, it might mean that you're ridiculed by your family, you're ridiculed by your workmates or by your social circle. It might mean you have to put yourself out for the benefit of other people. But that's part of the deal. So are you just looking as a Christian for an easy life? Or are you prepared to make a real stand? And secondly, it begs the question, well, what benefit does the church have from your life? That's a really good question to ask yourself sometimes. When folk come to my church and want to join um, I'm the person who does the, the membership classes with them. And very often people will say, I, I'm thinking of joining your church. Uh, what will I get? What benefits will I derive from joining your church? You know my answer is? I'm not even going to go there. I have no desire to talk about the benefits that you'll receive. What I want to talk about is, how will my church benefit from you being a member? That's a biblical pattern that we are not here to be self-serving. As Christians, we are here to benefit other members of the body of Christ, other members of this church. So I need to ask myself the question, and you need to ask yourself the question, what benefit does this church have from the fact that you're part of it? It's a good question to ask. Now, having uh, given that, 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 that intro, uh, Paul then, in, in verse 25, uses a an interesting expression. He talks about his commissioning. His commission. And it's clear that Paul took his own work very seriously. This job that I'm doing, going from city to city, sharing the gospel, it's not just a good idea, but, but God has actually asked me to live this way, to be this kind of a person. God has commissioned me to this life. A life in which I, I communicate to you the word of God in, in, in all its fullness. And you can sense that, that, that real burden in Paul's heart. I'm really serious about being a Christian. I'm really serious about serving God. This life that I've been living, in his case, it, it did involve traveling all across the world. Paul was probably, probably 
the most travelled human being in his generation. Public transport wasn't brilliant in those days. This is going back 2,000 years. Uh, You either walk or you get a horse, and that's how you travel. And he covered much of Europe as well as a a good bit of of, uh, uh, Central Asia and and, and the Middle East. An incredibly travelled person. But taking this life really seriously, God has commissioned me to use my life so that other people can hear about Jesus. And look at verse 29. His language is so deliberate. I strenuously contend. It takes real effort to live this kind of a life where I want people everywhere to hear about Jesus and to be transformed by him. I strenuously contend with the energy that Christ so powerfully works in me. God is enabling me. He's empowering me. But I have my role to fulfill. I, I commit myself to this with energy, with, with intentionality. You can just sense that burden, can't you? Uh, that word strenuously would be a word that would be used often in athletics. Uh, modern day athletics isn't, isn't uh, when the whole thing was really invented. In the Greco-Roman world, where, where, where Paul came from, athletics was a deeply, deeply serious business where people would give their whole lives to athletic endeavour. They were professionals back then, and that word strenuously is the kind of word that uh, w- would be used of, of, of an athlete who, who pushes himself to the, the ultimate. Well, says Paul, that's what I'm doing, and it's so that I can present the word of God in all its fullness. Now, think again of his, his, his world. Uh, the Greco-Roman world was so different from the world that you and I inhabit. Christianity was unheard of. It was a world of paganism where people's worldview were, were, was a million miles away from the world of the Bible. They had, they had some distance to make to, to begin to understand what God is saying and then to live that all out. I've been reminded of this recently because uh, we have a French student at the moment in our course in, in, in Motherwell. His name is Olivier. And he's been a Christian for less than a year. I met him last May in, in Australia. I was uh, preaching in a church that's in a, uh, a town called Ballon. It's, it's a coastal town with a beautiful beach it's where, all, where all the surfers go. And it's a wee bit like Glastonbury by the sea. It's the kind of hippie occult center of Australia. And he was there because he's the, he was the world skateboarding champion. He does a lot of surfing and travel around the world doing all these competitions. And uh, when I met him uh, last May, he'd been a Christian for about six or seven weeks. And from a completely secular background, he knew nothing about the Bible, absolutely nothing. Zero. Didn't know who Moses was. Had heard the name Jesus, but wasn't quite sure who Jesus actually was. Two years ago, when he began his spiritual quest, he didn't know any Christians, didn't know what Christianity was, uh, but he saw a a natural geographic documentary about the the, the shamans in in, in the, the Amazon jungle. So he went over to Peru and walked from Peru down into the Amazon basin, thick of the jungle, and wandered around looking for a shaman and found a shaman and did all the stuff where you eat these poisons and you're violently sick and you go into all these hallucinations for day after day to try to find something. And he found nothing in particular and then had this surfing competition in Ballon and that's where he met a Christian. And he became a Christian. And he's now studying with us. But he's known nothing 
nothing. And what a journey he's had to make to discover who God is, what the Bible is, what the Old and New Testaments are, who Jesus is, what the cross, but he'd never heard of the cross, never knew about the resurrection of Jesus, knew nothing. And he's now walking as a Christian, trying to discover all this stuff. That was Paul's world, and everyone was like that. Everybody was like that. I'm here to, to make known the, 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 the uh, full truth of the word. Uh, on the objective in mind, verse 28, to present people fully mature in Christ. Fully mature in Christ. Now, that's an interesting expression, isn't it? Here's this raw Christian, uh, someone like Olivier, who knows nothing. And he's lived for 28 years as an utter, utter hedonist. I'm mentoring him at the moment and I, I burst out laughing sometimes when he confides in me some of the stuff that he's got up to in his life. It's been the most, it's been the ultimate hedonistic lifestyle. You, you would imagine the, the kind of stuff he's done. And he's meant to become like Christ. What a journey. And what an adventure. And that's the goal. That each of us, as we become Christians and as we begin to uh, learn what the Bible has to say to us, as we read, as, as, as we hear, as we learn, we eventually become like Jesus. But for many of us, that's a, that's a long journey to make. A long journey to make. So we can become fully mature in Christ. So Christ just shines out of us. And that should be your goal if you're a Christian that one day people will look at your life and they'll read the description of Jesus in the Gospels and they'll say, actually, you're, you're doing what Jesus did. You look like Jesus. You, you live like him. That's the kind of person you are. You're like Jesus. That's the goal. If you want to know what it means to be fully mature in Christ, just read the Gospels and ask, what was Jesus really like? That's what I need to be like. That's the person I need to become. Which, which again begs the question... Who are you influencing? Somebody once said to me years ago that all of us in a church are leaders. All of us. And we're either leading people towards Jesus or away from him. And you can be a Christian. You can have been a Christian for 50 years and yet you can still be leading people away from Jesus. Why? Well, because you don't live it out yourself. You're all talk. You give lots of this but it's not manifest in your lifestyle. And young Christians look at you and you think, that's not what I picture Jesus being like. And if they follow you, you're leading them away from Jesus. So let me ask you, you're all leaders here, all of you. Leaders amongst people in this room, leaders amongst your neighbors, amongst your family members, amongst your children, your workmates. Where are you leading people? Towards Jesus or away from him? Ask yourself that question. It's a really important, fundamentally important question to ask yourself. Now we come into chapter 2. And Paul continues by um, describing his example, not only for them, but he mentions Laodicea. That was a, a city just down the road. And he was trying to influence people in the whole area, which included Laodicea. And he said, there are three things in verse 2 that I, that I want to see happening here in your church. 
Number one, I want you to be encouraged in your hearts. That is, um, to be so encouraged, so built up in your faith that you become really strong and, and, and firm. My wife and I uh, went for a walk last Saturday. We took a day off and uh, went up to a beautiful park in Glasgow called Pollock Park. And there had been huge storms, as you know, up in Scotland. And loads of trees had been felled. Uh, there were some really big ones that were, that were standing. But we noticed one tree that was a really big one that had been felled through the storms as well. But when we look closely, and you know the way these trees fall down and you can see all the roots being exposed, sitting up like that. The roots went down a wee bit and then went out the way. They hadn't really gone deep. They had just spread out but hadn't gone deep. And so when the, the fearsome storm came, even though it was a, a really big tree, couldn't stand, right over on its side, gone. I want you to become so encouraged in your heart, so fortified as a Christian that when those really tough times come, they're not going to break you. You'll, you'll still keep going. And secondly, united in love. Not only do I want you as a church to be full of strong, vibrant Christians who are convinced of their faith and, and know what they are as Christians, but Christians who are unified. Now that doesn't mean that Christians don't argue. After all, we're a family. How many of you in your families have arguments? Okay, a few dishonest people here, I suspect. <laughs> Every family argues. At my family, we're all very strong individualists. Strong personalities. We, we argue a lot. Does it affect our family cohesion? No, it doesn't. Uh, argument in a family is, is perfectly normal. It's, it's, it's what happens when people are close and their lives are really involved. And in a church family, arguments and, and differences of opinion and seeing things differently, that, that's entirely normal. But if we're united in love, if we really care about each other, that makes all the difference because it means that I, I don't come to church selfishly willing to have my own way in everything. I'm willing to, to give a little for the benefit of other people that I love, even though I disagree or don't like what's happening, that's okay. My love for people is more important than getting my own way. That's what makes families work, including the church family. My, my prayer says, Paul, is that you're united in love. And thirdly, that you'll grasp the full riches and complete understanding. Verse 3. Uh, of, of, of uh, the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Now that's a, a bit of a mouthful. What is, what is Paul really saying? It's, it's worth unpacking uh, what he's really saying. When he talks about the mystery of Christ, he's not saying that, that, that Jesus as a person was, was somehow mysterious. He wasn't mysterious. There was nothing mysterious about Christ other than he was a human being who's also God at the same time. Nothing mysterious about him because he lived his life so openly in front of people. You could understand, you could grasp him just by being with him. But the mystery is this, that before Jesus came into the world, the world had no hope. The only future that anybody in the world had was that they would be born and like all biological mechanisms, they would die and they would have no hope of, of an afterlife. There was, of course, judgment. 
that's very real, but no hope of eternal life, no hope of getting to heaven, no hope of knowing God. And mankind waited, looking for God. What does God have to do in a world that's broken and and, and where where people die every day and, and they die with no hope? God's answer? Well, it was revealed, this mystery, the secret's revealed. It's Jesus. And he is the hope for the world. And that's the mystery that, that Paul talks about. Um, all that God plans for us, all the purpose and joy and peace and meaning that God wants to give, it, it's all wrapped up in Jesus. And, and so I'm hoping that you, you'll grasp this, that if you really want to have a life that, that means something that, that's purposeful, you'll grasp that all you need, all you need is Jesus. And if you have Jesus, You've got everything. And so if you have those things, an encouraged faith, united in love, and realizing that all you really need is Christ, then that's what's going to make you a strong and vibrant church full of strong and vibrant Christians. And in verse 4, I said, I'm telling you this so that no one's going to deceive you. You'll have lots of people that'll have other ideas, but, but, but don't listen Stick to the right path because there will always be alternative ideas that will be thrown at you. As I travel around churches, I hear lots of ideas being um, being peddled. There's the idea that uh, experience is more important than, than, than the Bible. All you need to, to have is spiritual experiences. And, and forget about the Bible and all that academics of reading your Bible learning. Just experience. Or the idea that um, uh, as long as you're a loving person, it doesn't really matter about the rest of your life, how you live, your ethics. As long as you're loving and caring, that's all God expects of us, just to be nice people. Or the idea that we're not actually accountable to, to God, to his word, to the leaders of our church. Uh, the idea that um, church is there to serve you, not the other way around, that you're there to serve church. Or the idea that Christ doesn't demand very much from us. Uh, we can just throw it when we feel like it. And, uh, but Jesus doesn't ask much of us. There are a lot of very false ideas out there. Paul says to the Colossians, I'm giving you the foundation right now so that none of these ideas that are wrong and false will impact you. What you need is Christ. And following him, becoming like him, uh, recognizing that he needs to to fill your life, recognizing that you're on this pathway of discipleship, following him, and and stay on that pathway. Don't get deflected. Because being deflected from this pathway of following Jesus and obeying him and being the kind of person he wants you to be, that pathway is, is, is all that God wants for you. And if you follow that, you, you, you're pleading God, you'll experience God's blessing, and you'll receive your heavenly reward. So keep going. And don't let anything get in the way of that single-minded, complete devotion to believing in Jesus and following in his footsteps. So do that. 
And keep doing that because that is exactly what God wants you to do. And Paul finishes by saying, uh, even though I'm absent from you, I'm writing to you because I can't be there. Just keep going. Because your motivation to follow Christ, to walk in his footsteps, will define your life not just for now, but for all time. What you're doing now will affect eternity. So don't give up. Keep going. Be that person that God wants you to be, following Jesus. For that is the only, the only credible way to live. Let us pray. Father, thank you for Paul's remarkable example of complete devotion in the face of suffering and difficulty. Help us to take his word seriously and to recognize that the Christian life is not just uh, something that we can take in, in an optional way, but it's a life of real commitment where we follow Jesus. Uh, may we be a, the kind of church that is encouraged to be robust and strong and united together, recognizing that Christ is everything. He's all we need. May we be single-minded in our devotion to him. In Jesus' name, amen.